Welcome back, folks, and thanks for tuning in for the second hour of Travel Riders Radio on Melbourne's JAIR 88 FM. I'm your host, Graeme Kemlow, my co-host, Helen Hayes. She's still there in Sydney? Still here. Haven't fallen asleep yet. Very good. Okay. (laughs) Good to hear, Helen. Perth's remoteness from the Australian East Coast can be both a blessing and a curse for somebody whose job it is to get organisations to travel across the country to meet in Western Australia. But as CEO of Business Events Perth, Gareth Martin says the upside is that Perth is closer to Asia and also in the same time zone as 60% of the world's population. He told Graham Kemlow how well the city had recovered from the pandemic and how important Rottnest Island's furry ambassadors, the Quokkas, are to both leisure and business visitors. Gareth, where would you say Perth is at the moment as far as a sort of a post-COVID recovery is concerned? Hi, Graeme. Uh, lovely to speak with you today. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Perth and Western Australia has rebounded very strongly uh, post-COVID. We're almost back to, I would say, um, equal of what we... We're experiencing uh, in sort of 219 pre-COVID in terms of visitation to the state, travel across the state, and indeed in terms of airline access um, into Western Australia, uh, in some cases with new opportunities. Uh, right. Western Australia recently announced uh, direct flights to France um, with Qantas uh, beginning in July next year, which aligned to the Olympic Games. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good move. Yeah, and Perth's the only destination in Australia that has continental European access via obviously that service and then Rome and then obviously into the UK direct. Yeah, you uh, mean well. non-stop. That's right. Europe, yeah. I, I guess most of the other states are going to go via Asia, aren't they? They would, or the, or Middle, the Middle East. East. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. right. Oh, well, that's a and great... We certainly have that access to. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point of difference for, for you to to, uh, to promote. Do you, do you measure your... Results as an organisation based on the number of meetings or the number of delegates or some sort of value for um, per delegate or something. How do you how do you measure how you're performing? Uh, there are a range of uh, metrics in terms of our measurement of uh, work that occurs throughout the year, but broadly the measure that might be the most common amongst the the bureau in Australia. For us, is direct delegate expenditure, right? And in uh, the last financial year, we secured just over three hundred and twenty million dollars in future events to occur in Western Australia um, out to twenty twenty six. Actually, okay. And and uh, the current year, you you're on track, would you say? Yeah, our targets uh, jump up again from last year to this year, but already we're actually almost halfway. Um, so what our target is for next year, our target next year is $335 million okay. in expenditure, and we're just about halfway there already. Fantastic. That's uh, Well, that's great considering, we, we, you know, even I know you weren't as hard hit as uh, perhaps we were in the in the East. We've got to stop whinging about that, I guess. But um, everybody did at least suffer to some extent, didn't they? Oh, hugely. I think... Uh, uh, massive hit to confidence in terms of uh, even uh, meeting together, uh, people connecting together over a coffee. You know, just just wasn't possible on mm. on some level for a certain period of time. But then also the future of the industry and when, where that may lay. But I think the experience that we understand well together is that people like to connect in person, and those innocuous occasions where you might bump into an old colleague or a new a new friend um, mm. in a in a business event environment absolutely and uh, within the meetings sector you've got meetings incentives conferences conventions and exhibitions are any of those your particular strong suit or do you do a, a, a mix of them all uh, certainly secure uh, business events across a range of uh, activities but really 
the strong point for Western Australia is association events, right. both national and international association events, certainly by uh, direct delegate expenditure impact. If you talk volume, uh, Western Australia, with its near Asia access to markets like Singapore and Malaysia, we secure many, many uh, smaller corporate incentive events uh, in terms of volume, but in terms of total delegate economic impact association events are so the, by the, far the largest. They're the in conventions that could be a thousand or more people, yeah? That's right. Uh, the average, yeah, ranges between 400 delegates and just over a thousand delegates, depending on which venue they're choosing in Western Australia. Large delegate numbers who come at a defined time of year. Noting that they're going to have an annual meeting, or it, or it goes yeah, it, it sort of sometimes it rotates around the states, doesn't it? That's true, but we have found uh, in recent times, and probably an impact of COVID, is that there are certainly impacts around associations choosing to stage their future events. Uh, that may be that they want to engage more closely with membership and remain closer to headquarters. So there's so there has been, in some way, a little bit of a lag effect that we've found with association events. Right. Um, certainly been strongly successful, but probably slower to rebound. And in association terms, post-COVID, really, uh, I guess, associations were booking their future events one or two years out because they had had to not hold an event. So they effectively forecast a future destination. So we're finding that... We're bidding on events now out to 2030, 2031, oh, okay. uh, which is pushed a little bit further out than what we were experiencing pre-COVID, and certainly much more activity as well. The short lead time business still around, or is that uh, sort of resumed a, a more normal pattern of uh, booking? Yeah, alternately, we found uh, sort of coming out of COVID, not really understanding where that business might lie. But if you're talking short-term sort of corporate business, that rebounded very strongly last right. year okay. um, and stronger than we even thought it might do. We had no real understanding. I think it, it relates back to what I was saying before about the association side. Corporates hadn't pre-planned and booked their future next year destination and re really were open um, to an open field of um, destinations to choose from. So we found you know, really strong flexibility across corporate companies who were looking to reward their staff who'd worked hard through a really challenging period. Yeah. Uh, so that's rebounded quite strongly. Now, uh, in in that acronym MICE, which we don't sort of use uh, publicly, uh, well, our magazine does, but uh, we don't yeah. sort of use it really anymore. The the incentive segment is the area which I think resonates most with the leisure market, and and funnily enough, people who visit destinations on incentive often return as leisure guests with the family. They're like the forward scouts. Um, is that does that happen in Perth? I imagine it does. I think we do find that not just incentive, but also association side. I think right. Perth is a remote destination that many uh, people isn't. It isn't the first destination to choose from a leisure perspective, but certainly coming here in a business context opens the possibilities to then uh, bringing um, family and inviting friends uh, as well. So right. we certainly find strong visitation post event. Right. Okay. So, um, just asking you with your CEO hat on from Business Events Perth, um, what issues are most important to you now? You know, putting COVID, uh, t into our past. Um, maybe what did you learn out of that experience that, that, um, you need to work with industry on now to sort of meet their needs? Yeah. I think we've all learned to be more flexible. Uh, across the board, so clients and certainly our membership, and and I think I think those that show initiative and are open in terms of their engagement and transparent in how they work, I think trying to offer solutions and being part of a team focused process, I think rewards great results ultimately. So uh -huh. not just that in person connection, but really in the extension of that between the the client and the supplier and uh, from and, and our um, circumstance as well. I think we all know that we need to work together and then and with that uh, open collaboration brings great reward. Right. And what, what do you think your greatest challenge is for 2024, Garrett? I think we, uh, from a West Australian perspective, yeah. 
broadly, there are you know increasing inflation challenges around the cost of airline access into mm. destinations, uh, which is felt you know across Australian destinations getting international visitation into every city across Australia, but keenly for an Australian market, um, airline cost and access is a is a very challenging um, aspect of um, Perth as a uh, destination domestically in the Australian market. No. Um, we have, I don't know in terms of the interview, I, I better not, I won't go there. <laughs> you don't have to get that specific. It was a, a pretty general sort of a question. I mean, just yeah. uh, from what you've already said, is subvention, in other words, sort of funding to help uh, organisations who want to stage events to bring their people to Perth, is that something that you are considering or uh, need to do these days? Yeah, certainly uh, subvention. We, we're uh, Business Events Perth is well supported by the West Australian Government through Tourism Western Australia. Uh, we have a strong funding base with which to um, offer funding support to clients looking at Western Australia, but beyond that, hosting client groups in, in large familiarisation tours, yeah. which was a new um, uh, activity for us last year in terms of a a 27-person group that came to Western Australia, and we're going to uh, redo that again next year, okay. as well as pushing that support on to our members. And uh, one of our major shows that we attend every year is AIM in Melbourne, and we specifically changed focus to try and um, offer some strong support to our members. And last year, had 20 members join us um, on our destination stand at AIM. It was AIM, a big show is- last year for you. I noticed that. It was, and and we've uh, doubling down, and and the same effort again this year. And we've had, um, I think we're already up to twenty four um, registered member partners joining us on the stand, and that, and we feel that, you know, we're a destination that's far away, and but if you bring diverse products to a show like AIM, you offer an opportunity for event organisers who are looking for unique destinations, and you've got beautiful uh, diverse products to display on offer to them. Right. Uh, at a, an important show like AIM. So I think we use funding in our context to try and support a, a range of different activities that will drive uh, potential visitation into the state and interest for Western Australia. Mm. Perth's done fabulously well, or maybe more specifically, Rottnest Island has done fantastically well with this furry little quokka. Mm-hmm. That works for business people too, doesn't it? It does. It's a it's a destination that's not far from Perth, only 25 minutes from Fremantle, so it's Certainly, is opportunity to add on to the end of a conference in terms of visitation, but it also has facilities on the island that allow it um, to host sort of smaller uh, events as well. Uh, and it's it, honestly, it's it's the Perth playground. It's where we go for a, a bit of a rest and uh, relaxation from our perspective as well. It's a well um, well visited spot from well, the locals. Out. It was a secret for a long time, I reckon. Oh, that's the right. You can out. find. <laughs> Yeah, you can find a beautiful part of the island that's untouched anywhere you go because it's, yeah. there's no cars, it's easy to get around. You've got to be on a bicycle to move any faster than walking pace. You do, yeah. So, Gareth, just finally, what, what do you believe your greatest opportunity is for 2024 and beyond? I think Perth remains an enticing, undiscovered destination for uh, business event organisers looking for something unique and different uh, for their clients. And we certainly... There's a team Western Australia perspective here where across the board we, we collaborate together to try and ensure that those who are organising events in Western Australia have a wonderful experience both in terms of the organising of the event, staging the event, but also the delegates that come here and, and therefore maybe want to return as uh, visitors, leisure visitors in the future. Right. And, and uh, what would be the largest event that you'd happily uh, stage in uh, WA as far as a business event is concerned? The largest event we've secured previously is a very large LNG event, which was upwards of 8,000 delegates, right. uh, which is enormous in our context. Uh, we are in the throes of bidding for s- s- several significant events in the 4,000 to 5,000 delegate range. Okay. But the common thing for us is much more in the 400 to over 1,000 delegate um, right. range. And if I can talk to a couple, we've recently announced yeah. that – um, Perth was successful in securing Roots Asia, which is coming in 2025, which is over a thousand delegates, and it, it uh, talks to international route access, airline access into destinations, and um, that'll be a, a, oh, a was key. that an airports conference 
It is an Air Force conference. That's right. right. Yeah. Okay. That's a key key. We align our activities strongly aligned to the Western Australian government's Diversify WA um, focus, which is trying to diversify the Western Australian economy based on the sectors that are predominant in the, the state and those that the government would like to grow. And um, certainly tourism is one of those key sectors and aviation access is important, not just from a leisure visitation perspective, but also um, freight and cargo as well. Right. And then beyond that, we recently announced our work with Tourism Western Australia to secure the World Travel and Tourism Congress, uh, which is coming in October next year. And that's over a thousand delegates coming to the state. But really, it's the key, um, the key um, individuals that exist across the commercial uh, and private space in, in um, tourism. Uh, the global CEOs of, of Marriott and um, Accor and um, Hilton and um, all global so the hotel brands. Well as, so what about airlines and airlines? Airlines, yeah, airlines and airports. Okay. Really, the 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 most influential um, key decision makers across the tourism yeah. industry will be coming to Perth next year, and we secured some support to secure that event via Business Events Australia's bid fund, as well as working with Tourism Western Australia as well. well what month's that, Gareth? In October next year. Okay, fantastic. Well, it sounds like Perth's really firing. Yeah, it's 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 going great, and thank you for your interest, Graham. It's wonderful to speak to you. Yeah, well, we uh, we we love Perth, even though we're over here on the west, uh, yeah. on the east coast, but uh, <laughs> it's a great part of Australia. So, uh, thank you very much for your time, Gareth. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Graham Kemlo. There, in conversation with Business Event Perth CEO Gareth Martin. This is the Travel Writer Show on J-Air 88FM in Melbourne. Last week's chat with correspondent Suzanne Hart generated quite a lot of online reaction, as did Carolyn Jasinski's experience at Auschwitz. So I just wondered, Helen, if you had an example of a travel experience that either shocked or, or amazed you, as it does sometimes seem that truth is stranger than fiction for us. Well, that's a hard question to ask, but I think... The one that I still find amazing, not quite shocking, I guess it's shocking if you were the animal I'm about to talk about, <laughs> is, uh, is when I was on a safari with Maasai Wanderings in Tanzania, we were in the Serengeti and we came upon this pride of lions. They were just lying around. There was about 14 of them, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, two of the, the lionesses got up and started wandering off. So we followed this pride for quite some time, over quite some distance. And the upshot was that the driver, Mohammed, and our guide, he, he just seemed to know what they were doing. He, he certainly was a fantastic guide. He says they're going, they've found something, they've locked in on something. And he explained how they were going to go around in like a pincer formation, one lioness off to one side, one on the other. And then he, he said, there's some warthogs over there. And he says, see how they're getting down? We were that close. We could actually see the lionesses and the other lions like in that hunting position on the ground, you know, really low to the ground. And then, honestly, they were off and they just ran. And so we drove bumping around everywhere in the truck and then one of the lines got the warthog and it was quite the sound I'd have to say not something I'd like I'd like to hear quite that often but then all of the lions come in and we were like right there and then some of them started fighting over various bits <laughs> and it was really visceral and really loud and you could hear every bite. Oh. But at the end of the day, if those lions didn't have that kill, they could be dead because they can't. Then they lose more energy and they can't hunt properly. Then they all die. Wow. So it's just that circle of life thing. But when you're right next to it and you can hear the crunch, it's it's something that we are not quite used to no. in our um, in our penthouse suite. How eh? far away were you? Do you reckon? Oh, we were not far. We were probably meters, um, thirty meters. 
30 metres. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and I have it on video. I have the whole thing oh, on video. So you can replay just in case you forget. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I haven't actually posted it anywhere, but it was just incredible watching this pride. You know, they trekked a while and then they got onto the scent and then they got the job done. But there was one lioness who didn't... She must have been... Um, she was older and I don't think she was one of the you know, the leaders, so the cubs even got in before her, so there was nothing left by the time it was her turn. She wasn't looking in great condition, I have no. to say. I've been to Africa, been close to lions, I've shot with a camera, uh, but I haven't seen a kill like that. Now, that sounded very visceral, so I can understand how that would that would shock anyone, uh, even those of us who maybe are used to being exposed to wild For animals sure. like that. Well, my story's not quite as gory as, as that, but... but <laughs> I found it fascinating. In November 2019, I was invited to go to the Philippines to check out the island of Boracay. Now, Boracay was the sort of uh, the poster child of the Philippines. It was said to have had the best beach in the world. And this is, uh, I think, nominated by the New York Times, who don't hand around uh, those things lightly, uh, a beach called White Beach. And that was just part of the problem in the Philippines. People had been uh, flouting the law, flouting the rules around buildings, etc. And so we met over there the general that Duterte, the then president, had sent in to shut down this island, the busiest holiday island in the Philippines called Boracay. It's a, shaped a bit like a dog bone. And one whole side of this dog bone is effectively this beach called White Beach, runs for about four kilometres. But it was full of touts and people wanting to braid your hair and flog your coconut drinks and every other thing. And so they cleaned that up. They got all these people out of the bushes at the the back of the beach so you could at least enjoy the beach without being interrupted. But the thing that I found amazing is that this general had overseen a realignment of the main road that runs over the spine of Boracay, goes from one end of the the knuckle at one end of the bone to the other end, and he had a a laser beam, and he shot it up the street on what he understood to be the straight path for the road. And as we were driving along on this road, it's the main sort of connection from one end to the other, we suddenly found a building with its side caved in. It had actually been marked by the authorities with a red spray can that this that much of the building on one side of the red line was in the roadway and wasn't actually on its own property. And wow. as we're driving along, we suddenly see a toilet hanging out the side of this building. They had just taken a bulldozer <laughs> and they had carved off the end of a about a three-storey building, I think it was. And I mean, we couldn't believe it. Like, there wasn't anyone wow. sitting on the toilet, but they may as well have been because the rest of their life was exposed. And they also did the same with hotels that had sort of built verandas out on the beach and deck chairs and all this stuff. All of that got taken away. There was to be no eating, smoking or drinking on the beach. And this party island was suddenly sort of back to civilization. And the general wow. was a very hard-looking man, but when you spoke to him, he was very soft-hearted. And um, I wouldn't have wanted to pick a fight with him, but clearly yeah. he had a, a bit of a conscience about what he, what he was doing. And wow. he's cleaned the place up. And suddenly I think Boracay is now back on the agenda. But I couldn't believe that, that uh, they would literally take a bulldozer and bulldoze a perfectly good building because it was on the road or it was in the national park. This happened all over the island. And um, I, I think Quite the locals were upset because they had six months off the air. But it's come back bigger and better than ever. So, but it was yeah. to me, it was just I was shocked to see that that could happen, yeah, and it wasn't a natural disaster. It was a man-made situation. Jeez. Well, I guess it just goes to show that even seasoned travellers, whose job it is to notice and report on the details that make a destination interesting, can still find ourselves gobsmacked.
Well, that theme song is, of course, the sound of our Worth a Thousand Words segment. Now, correspondent in Spain, Karen Avila, has a photo that I reckon's worth a thousand words. Los Reyes Magos, or the Three Kings Day, is one of the most highly anticipated holidays in Spain. It's celebrated on January the 6th, and if you do your sums, that's 12 days after Christmas. So Three Kings Days celebrates the baby Jesus and the arrival of the three wise men bearing uh, frankincense, gold and myrrh. And sometimes in Spain they arrive by helicopter. Sometimes they uh, get parachuted into a festival somewhere. Anyway, the three kings in Karen's photo simply wandered up the beach on the coastal village of Moreira. And uh, I reckon it's definitely worth a thousand words. play EDM here on Travel Writers Radio, but uh, somebody either has filmed or used AI to create that particular track, which is called Crab Rave by the artist is Noise Storm, and they've taken a whole lot of red crabs migrating down a beach, and they've got them dancing to that particular uh, track. Look it up on uh, YouTube, Crab Rave. Anyway, that serves to introduce our next segment. There's currently a natural phenomenon playing out on the Australian territory of Christmas Island, 1,500 k's northwest of Perth in the Indian Ocean. We're told that tens of millions of red crabs are migrating from the rainforest down to the sea to lay their eggs. And until around the 4th of February, they have priority over cars and other vehicles as they cross the road. Graham Kemlo spoke to the destination marketing manager of Christmas Island, Sarah Coote, who explained what it's all about. She also talked about the tourism potential of this very remote community with its pristine rainforest and waters. Originally from Perth is the uh, Destination Marketing Manager for Christmas Island, Sarah Coote. I've got Sarah on the line now. Sarah, welcome to Travel Writers Radio. Thanks so much, Graham. It's great to be here. It's lovely to have you there. Now, the reason we've called, you know for sure, it's because of this amazing wave of red that's... It's, uh, migrating across your island now. Give us a sense of what's going on. Yeah, it's a pretty spectacular sight at the moment. So at the moment we're uh, in the midst of the red crab migration, the annual migration that occurs each year on Christmas Island. Um, And it's where millions of crabs make their way from the jungle down to the coast to to mate and spawn. Um, And then they'll make that, that trip back and it's a pretty spectacular sight taking over the island the roads road closures and yeah you see them everywhere you can imagine (laughs) now apart from uh, the rubber tire of your vehicle are there any known predators for the red crab so the parks australia do a great job of closing road roads during this time um, and they'll be raking crabs off the road to kind of limit as many crab crab fatalities as possible yeah. uh, and the community is really good at, uh, at, at respecting the wildlife and, and the closures during this time. Um, the only other, uh, I guess, major threat to the, the, the red crabs on the island is the yellow crazy ants um, and again, that's a threat that the Parks Australia are managing and they're, they're doing a great job. They seem to be getting on top of it right. um, but yeah, they've been increasing um, quite significantly over the last couple of years. Okay. Now, 
I read that there are tens of millions of crabs. Somebody's obviously done a bit of a rough count to get a sense that there's more than a few hundred thousand at the game. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> is it growing every year, that number? It seems to significantly be going increasing, um, but it does change from year to year, mainly because due to the the, the migration success. So some years you have all the baby crabs uh, come back and other years you won't see see many at all. So it really is varied um, each year and I guess that's the, the... the beauty of nature you never know what you're going to get especially especially in this beautiful part of the world right and it's a it's a combination of uh the lunar uh, cycle and the weather what else comes into play there yeah, so it's absolutely uh, around the, the lunar cycle um, and the rain. So the, the weather and the, the, the first uh, crabs start to move with the first rain of the wet season. Now, we've had a bit of a sporadic rainfall this season. We had a, a bout in uh, the, the start of December and then that stopped completely. So we right. had a wave of crabs leave then and then it didn't come the rain didn't come back uh, until later in December, so we had another another bout then. So it was quite interesting to have crabs going both ways. So we had some crabs coming back from the from the coast, and as we had crabs going down um, and, and starting their first phase. So it was quite right. interesting to see this year. Okay, so I hope it's not the main highway that they uh, t- like to uh, cross. Uh, it, so Christmas Island has um, uh, most roads are the main roads on this island. Wow. So yes, they absolutely go through the heart of the settlement area, uh, and that's where the the community community and, and visitors are really good at adapting and and really relaxing into island life, slowing down for the pace of the red crabs. So does it stop you going to work at all, or? Getting to the shops, it's a, or it's a it's a lot slower process. So we try to avoid driving as much as possible, yeah. um, especially on those on those heavily populated roads where those crabs pass. Yeah. Um, some road closures happen uh, completely, so you either have to go around the long way, yeah. or you simply can't pass there at a certain time, and you and you have to walk or ride. Okay, give us a sense. Now you're originally from Perth. Is is uh, Christmas Island a bit bigger than Rottnest, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, yes, it's significantly bigger than than Rottnest. Um, how big is so, it? So, oh, how uh, compared to Rottnest or Tasmania or whatever other island you could think of? The Christmas Island is. I'm trying to get this square. 134.7 kilometers squared. So, uh, yeah, how and long would it take you to drive from one end to one, the other? Uh, so probably about I would say an hour. Oh, okay. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Reasonable it's not. Size. It's not too big. Yeah, yeah, but it's not too big that you can't get around the island in a day. Right. Um, and sixty percent of it is national park. So a right. lot of it is your your jungle um, and your national park area. And then we'll have the settlement in one um, kind of close knit area, and that's where most of the people people live on the island. Okay. So how many people are there on Christmas Island? There's about sixteen hundred okay. people that live on on the island. And what um, about the, so? Yeah, nice small community. What's the tourism potential? How many people at a time can you have on there? So, the the the, the challenge with uh, I guess visitation to the island is your accommodation. Right. Uh, we do have a uh, uh, plenty of beds, so um, over two hundred beds and and, and uh, people we can welcome to the island. What sort of Airbnb time. is it? No, uh, they are, I guess, um, a bit more, they're not your high-end luxury accommodation. We do have Swell Lodge, which is your eco-luxury accommodation, yeah. but, and that's in the, based in the National Park. The rest of the accommodation is more um, your island-style accommodation. Okay. So very comfortable, clean, um, very close to the, the ocean and the coast, which is beautiful, um, but it's more your, it, it's not a very highly developed tourism destination and is, is I guess that that's something the that, the, that the locals are trying to encourage or discourage or what's the situation that's a that's a bit of a hard one so we definitely want to increase tourism to the island and diversify the economy here um, there is beautiful 
uh, absolutely stunning uh, attractions and natural attractions for visitors to, to enjoy Christmas Island. In saying that, um, there's obviously a, a capacity that we can we can allow to the island. Right. Um, and it's never going to be a high-volume des- destination, but it's definitely one that aligns with your nature lover um, and your adventure-style traveller. Um, the incredible bird life, incredible wildlife, the ocean and the diving, uh, the offerings are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, some of the best diving in the world um, and the visibility, warm water all year round. So there is a, a incredible assets to the island and, and natural assets and that's the beauty of it. It's not a highly developed tourism destination and that's what people love about coming here. Uh, it really is one of those memorable destinations. So it sounds fantastic. How long do people tend to stay, Sarah? So we have two flights a week that depart from Perth, um, and that's on a Tuesday and a Friday with Virgin Australia. So generally people are trying to align with those flights. So they'll either stay a week or they'll stay 10 days to, to, to 14 days. Right. Um, and sometimes they'll also include Crocus Keeling Islands in that trip because it's I was so going close. to ask, yeah, the other two islands over there are also got Australian heritage. Um, are they far from you? It's about a 45-minute flight okay. from from Christmas Island to Crocus Island. And we're talking about and a serious jet here, not a rubber band airlines, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. So it's all with Virgin Australia. Right. Um, so they, yeah, they they facilitate the the airline here, and that's the route that has to be taken anyway to get back to Perth. So right. it'll be from Perth to Christmas to Crocus, returning to Perth, and then the reverse on the other uh, on the other day. So, right. yeah, it's a great way to see both of the islands, and, and it's a great way as well to, to kind of get the best of both worlds. So Christmas Island is more your ruggedly spectacular nature-inspired destination, and Crocus Islands is more your beautiful, idyllic, tropical destination those white sandy beaches beautiful palm trees and and shallow turquoise waters so yeah. you really do get the best of both worlds by uh by visiting christmas in crocus now, islands I, I gather these red crabs don't uh they're not much of a delicacy they don't look like they've got much meat no no they're not eaten uh at all here they're actually protected as well um right. along with our our coconut crabs you, you can't eat the crabs here and yeah i don't i don't think i've heard they don't taste very good right um, but from, what about from, the uh, i guess seafood would be on the agenda there would it yes absolutely incredible fishing opportunities here as well so you've got your your plagics and and, and your wahoo your tuna yellowfin tuna dogtooth tuna it's a, it's a great fishing destination as well um and because it's uh not heavily populated there's plenty of fish around and oh. sustainably caught as well which is really really okay. really awesome now you sound like you're never going home I know. Well, this is home now. So, um, we've, yeah, we've traveled the whole of Australia and yeah, this is definitely, definitely home now. It ticks every box. The, the beautiful ocean offerings of the island, the, the natural offerings on island and then the, the community is beautiful here as well. Now, I, because I called you on your mobile phone, I know the mobile network, uh, operates there. So I guess that's a bit of a bonus, uh, given the distance you are from, uh, from the mainland. What do you do? You get Netflix and those things over there. Yes, absolutely. So we have internet, um, we have phone service, and all the normal things you would have. Um, when the beauty of it, though, is that when you do step out of your accommodation, you don't you no longer have three G. So you don't have internet access all over the island unless you have a little dongle, yeah. um, which that is available on island. But uh, again, it's a really beautiful destination to disconnect and really have that time to connect with nature and time off from that email and that inbox that endlessly um, is dinging away. So it's the best of both worlds. You you have access to it when you're at your accommodation. Um, you have all the connectivity with Netflix and all your streaming platforms, but uh, it also allows time to to disconnect from that that screen time as well once you're out in nature right and do you get any cruise ships in there no we don't we don't get cruise ships um we do have visiting yachts so people who are doing trips around the world yeah um we, we get plenty of, of people stopping into christmas island to to have a, a mooring uh for, for a couple of days to a week okay. um and yeah we we welcome we welcome yachts quite often Right. So, Sarah, what do you miss most about the mainland? Anything at all? I can't say that I do. (laughs) (laughs) The 
no, there's, I mean, there's definitely, um, uh, you know, your friends and family that you, that you miss living quite remote. But right. for the most part, the, it's only a three-hour flight back to Perth. So, yeah, the natural offerings and it's a beautiful place to raise a family and, yeah, get the most of immersing in nature and the adventures that life's all about. And I guess the only issue you've got this time of year is uh, don't go out without an umbrella. That's it, and a rake. <laughs> and a rake Breaking to move the, the crap. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. So, well, thanks for sharing information about Christmas Island. I have spoken to uh, to Christmas Island on the radio, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, so it's great to reconnect. And uh, if people are interested in visiting, is there a website they can have a look at? Yes, absolutely. So the the visitor website is christmas.net.au. Christmas.net.au. I might think Santa's going to be there. (laughs) It's a bit like that. Yeah, every day is a gift on Christmas Island. So, yeah, whatever way you want to swing that. Um, But, yeah, they can get all the visiting information on there, how to get here, what it's like, and uh, all the offerings on the island. Sounds fantastic. One one day I hope I'll get over to see it for myself, but in the meanwhile, one can dream, I guess, of red crabs. We look forward to welcoming you over here. Thanks very much, Sarah. Thanks so much, Graham. Have a great day. You too. Sarah Coote was speaking with Graham Kemlo from Christmas Island. Virgin fly there twice a week from Perth. Melbourne travel writer Emily McAuliffe visited tropical North Queensland, which was hit by a cyclone and then flooding rains in December. But as Emily reports, good luck meant that she missed the worst of the big wet, which affected Port Douglas, and also cut the coastal drive to Cairns, turning a one-hour commute into a two-hour ferry ride or a two-hour detour by car. Emily tells me, Graeme Kemlo, what effect the unusually wild weather had on the local community. Emily McAuliffe, you have been in a very wet situation up in far north Queensland, uh, but you've returned to Melbourne, probably just as wet, yeah? I have. Well, funnily enough, I've been in tropical north Queensland for three weeks and it has been blue skies and sunshine the whole time. (laughs) Sorry, there was a flood event. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually flew in um, the night that the airport reopened. So after Jasper, they had, I think it was three days of just torrential rain. Um, The airport runway went underwater, which was a bit of a first that often doesn't happen. So it was a lot of rain. Um, But pretty much as soon as the the flood sort of passed through, when the waters cleared, Everything just went back to normal. The sun came out and literally the sun has been out, yeah, for the last three weeks. <laughs> now, but obviously the, this is all precipitated uh, by the cyclone Jasper up in, up in far north Queensland. I don't know whether what Melbourne's getting now is the tail end of some cyclonic activity from way up north, but it's very tropical rain here. Yeah, so yeah, it's funny. I should have stayed up north, I think, because yeah. <laughs> we've had um, rain in rain in Melbourne. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's um, in any way linked because the the cyclone floods that was I think around the 17th of December. So we're sort of a few weeks on from that now. Yeah, um, but yeah, the far north is actually going really well. So it's I know it's sometimes hard when you're a long way away. Um, lots of people were saying, oh, you know, you must have been getting wet up there. And I was like, actually, no, not at all. <laughs> so now you flew into Cairns and where uh, you've, you've got family up there, I believe. But where are they? I do. Yeah. So I actually grew up on the Atherton Tablelands, which oh, is right. in the Cairns hinterland. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit elevated. Um, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful area. So yeah. we spent a couple of days in Cairns first. Um, and yeah, honestly, walking around, you even yeah, the day the the airport reopened, you wouldn't have even known anything had happened really. Um, so the the areas that were impacted the most were around Machen's Beach and Holloway's Beach, which are mostly residential areas. So they're a little bit north of the CBD. Um, they were the pictures that you saw in the news of you know trees over and houses flooded. Um, and obviously, it's awful for those people and the cleanup continues but I think it sort of misrepresented Cairns because I think a lot of people then assumed that that's what the whole city looked like 
Um, whereas in the CBD, I mean, I remember looking at the ground and thinking the ground's not even wet. <laughs> like no. you wouldn't, like it wasn't wasn't squelchy or muddy or anything like that. Um, the only real signs were as you kind of head north out of the CBD, you'd see a bit of debris um, stuck on the side of the road. So they've cleared the roads really well. Um, there's a little bit of pool water in some of the sugarcane fields. But, right. you know, if you weren't paying close attention, you might have missed that altogether. Did yeah, you, so... Did, um, you, um, did you go up towards Port Douglas? Cause I know they brought a ferry service in, didn't they, to get people from Port Douglas back They to did. So yeah, did so we did go to Port Douglas, actually. So Port Douglas has probably been the worst affected. And funnily enough, not because of the town itself like there's there's no damage again we got there beautiful clear blue day um everything looks as normal on the ground but the road between Cairns and Port Douglas had a massive landslide and we're talking like a boulder the size of a house um, came down the hill and fell on the road which has caused some significant damage and that's a real shame for that area because um, I think it's going to take quite a while to get that road back up and running just from an engineering perspective. I think it's caused some structural damage. Um, so the thing with Port Douglas now is that they are open. Um, they did have some water supply issues. So there was some, some, some debris got caught in the water treatment plant inlet and yeah. that impacted the water supply. But on the 30th of December, the water came back on and we actually visited on the 31st, so New Year's Eve. And yeah, everything was pretty normal on the ground. So the challenge now, well, I shouldn't say challenge. So now you've got to go the long way around. So there is another way. So I don't want people to think that Port Douglas has been completely cut off because there's... There's always another way in Far North Queensland. <laughs> There's um, lots of roads that but go around the back. Um, up into the hinterland for the other way, because that's uh, a coastal road. It's a mountain one side and it's ocean the other, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So it is a beautiful drive. It's called the Great Barrier Reef Drive, which is the road that's been cut. Um, so that sort of takes you directly along the coast. But there is a way up through the hinterland, which is beautiful in its own way. And I wouldn't say it's a second rate um, option by any means it does take a bit longer it takes about an hour extra but you know if you're on holiday hopefully you can factor in um, another hour and there's actually plenty of stops along the way so that road's going to take you through Karanda which is quite well known like a little rainforest town yeah it's absolutely beautiful that's where the sky rail um, goes from which takes you over the tree canopy um, one thing to note is that the Karanda Scenic Railway was also damaged. So that, I think it's going to be up and running again soon, but there is a bit of debris on the tracks. Oh. Um, so that's not going at the moment. But yeah, Karanda itself just looks as normal. Um, that's where the Barren Falls are, which is a 250 metre high waterfall. And it just looks spectacular going, after uh, heavy rain. Yeah, yeah. yeah so... Um, it's like it can be like a little trickle during the dry season and then in the wet season it just roars to life and there's mist and yeah it's really really beautiful so that's definitely worth checking out in Karanda. Um, then you head up through Mariba and it's quite a dry area there and there's um, like some beautiful little rock pools um, it's called Davies Creek there's the Mount Uncle Distillery, which yes. is a very well-known um, yes, rum distillery there. up there. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's in that area. It's in Walkerman. Um, there's a Granite Gorge Nature Park, which is, um, it's got some walking tracks over boulders and there's cute little rock, bowl, rock wallabies there and they'll, you know, they're not shy. They'll hop right up to you. Um, so that's a beautiful spot. Um, there's the Golden Drop mango wineries in that area if you want to try some tropical um far north queensland Uh, (laughs) yeah so that's yeah the fruit wines are a bit of a thing up north um and i mean serious wine connoisseurs might might not um liken them to usual table wines but they're kind of yeah unique in their own way and they're definitely Uh, worth a try yeah Yeah. and then did you head up towards mossman at all no so 
No, so we didn't go up to Mossman. So that area has had a bit more damage as well. So the Dane tree was impacted. Um, so the ferry was still running. So you have to catch a ferry to get across the river there. And it was just reserved for locals and it was on a reduced schedule. Um, not sure. I think things are starting to open up just in the last kind of week or so. So I think if anyone's heading to that area, it's worthwhile checking what's going on um the mossman gorge cultural center i believe reopens later this week um they had some damage through there and cape tribulation had a bit of damage as well so like port douglas itself was fine but yeah heading north um yeah there was, was a bit more of a deluge so yeah did you uh, were you able to identify the fact that there were tourists in port douglas Yes, although it was much quieter than usual. Um, Port Douglas around New Year's Eve is usually buzzing with people. Um, it was, there still were quite a few travellers. Like we went down to Hemingway's Brewery, which is, you know, beautiful on the marina. And there was quite a crowd gathering there. Um, I think the issue is, yeah, a lot of people were turned off by not being able to drive directly from Cairns. Sure. And a, a big issue for them is that some staff commute so they actually commute from Cairns and I think that's almost the bigger issue. All right well look thank you so much. No problem thanks for having me Graham. Emily McAuliffe reporting there from tropical North Queensland. Let's travel riders radio for this week. A reminder that if you miss our regular broadcast our show is repeated Saturdays from 1 till 3 p.m here on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne. We're also live on the net at jair.com.au. Our stories are readily available also via our website, travelwritersradio.com. Travel Writers Radio is a production of Pallet, the professional association of lifestyle and travel writers. So until next week, it is good night from me, Helen Hayes. And good night from me, Graham Kemlo. Thanks for listening. We are the wild, we are the free. And our fire burns eternally We'll travel far, far as the eyes can see We are the wild and free